0: Uh, this morning's reading is Psalm 144, which is on page 978 of your Black Bibles. Of David, praise be to the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. He is my loving God and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. Lord, what are human beings that you care for them, mere mortals that you think of them? They are like a breath, their days are like a fleeting shadow. Part your heavens, Lord, and come down, touch the mountains so that they smoke. Send forth lightning and scatter the enemy, shoot your arrows and rout them. Reach down your hand from on high, deliver me and rescue me from the mighty waters from the hands of foreigners whose mouths are full of lies, whose right hands are deceitful. I will sing a new song to you, my God. On the 10 string lyre, I will make music to you, to the one who gives victory to kings, who delivers his servant David. From the deadly sword, deliver me, rescue me from the hands of foreigners, whose mouths are full of lies, whose right hands are deceitful. Then our sons in their youth will be well-nurtured plants, And our daughters will be like pillars carved to adorn a palace. Our barns will be filled with every kind of provision. Our sheep will increase by thousands, by tens of thousands in our fields. Our oxen will draw heavy loads. There will be no breaching of walls, no going into captivity, no cry of distress in our streets. Blessed is the people of whom that is true. Blessed is the people whose
1: God is the Lord. Well, good morning. It's indeed a privilege and a joy for me to share God's word with you and I'm really grateful to Carl for this opportunity. This morning we are continuing on in our series on the Royal Psalms and last week we heard Carl take us through Psalm 45 um, where we saw the picture painted of um, God looking at his bride, the church, um, an imagery of a wedding and reflects God's love and care for his bride. Our passage this morning is from Psalm 144, as we heard read to us, but before we look into the word of God, let's bow our hearts in prayer. Our Father and our God, we humbly come before you as we look at your holy word. We pray, Lord, that you will open our ears and open our hearts. May your word go out in power, encourage, strengthen, convict, and uphold the hearts of all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So please keep your Bibles open as we follow along on Psalm 144. We're looking this morning at uh, primarily the first eight verses of this Psalm. When we come to the book of Psalms, I've often thought that they are usually the favorites of Christians, there is something so uniquely direct, so comforting, something that resonates within the hearts of all, especially when we read the Psalms. And I think in this particular Psalm, we'll find a lot that resonates within our hearts in whatever circumstances we might find ourselves in. The first thing we are told about this psalm, Psalm 144, is that it is a psalm of David. Charles Spurgeon, the mighty preacher of the 19th century, said of this psalm that the language of the psalm is so obviously David's that it could hardly be ascribed to anyone else. In fact, in this psalm, there's there's a passion, there's a frankness, an almost childlike intimacy which makes it so obvious that this could be, you know, hardly anyone else could have written it. There's something so unique about this psalm that we know that it, only David could have written it. In fact, there are echoes of this psalm in um, Psalm 18 and also in the book of Second Samuel, chapter 22, where David uses very similar language. We're not sure exactly when the psalm was written, but commentators tell us that based on the reference from Psalm 18, the reference from 2 Samuel, the psalm was likely to have been written during the latter half of David's life. So when David had been well established as a king and he was a mighty conqueror by that time, he'd been through many trials and many circumstances and perhaps he's again in a sticky situation, he's again surrounded by enemies. Or perhaps he writes the psalm thinking back to the way in which God had delivered him in the past. And he reminds himself, but not just himself, and not just his people, but he reminds the generations to come of the glory of the love and the faithfulness of God. One criticism that uh, I've often heard, and I've had friends tell me this, is, you know, why do you people, why do you look at this book, the Bible, today? You know, it was written so many centuries ago, and in our day and age where, you know, we are so technologically advanced in our smartphone era, we are preparing to send man to, the, to Mars and so on, does this book have any relevance today in our world Do the words of an ancient Middle Eastern shepherd king matter in our day and our age? But as we'll see, the words of this book are not about ancient farming techniques or sheep rearing techniques. They're not mere dry theoretical information, but they deal with the real problems of ordinary men and women of pain, of fear, of suffering, of guilt, and shame. You know, for all the changes and all the advances and how technologically advanced we are, fundamentally our hearts are still the same. The passions and the desires of the hearts have not really changed. We may dress differently and look different, but man is still man and woman is still woman. And this is the only book that deals with the fundamental problem of man, sin. As someone so aptly put it, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And so here here we are, centuries after David, once again examining his words and let's begin at verse one, praise be to the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. David starts with a burst of praise. The, the, the imagery of, of rock is often used across the Psalms, many use uses and especially I think it holds certain significance to David because if you remember his life he was a he was an outdoors man he was a shepherd growing up and then he was a warrior and so on and i think there must have been some special significance to rock to a rock rocks were often seen as places of of shelter from storm places of safety in terrain that could be treacherous And the Bible often uses it to describe something firm and stable. And it is such an apt illustration of the strength, the stability, and the unchanging majesty of God. It is a picture of the refuge that God, and indeed God alone, provides. Remember I said, You know, the commentators believe David writes this towards the latter half of his life. So he's well established as a king, a man who'd won many victories, a conqueror, militarily, you know, supreme, powerful man, wealthy man, yet he is clear about one thing, the foundation and source of his strength is not his military might, it is not his intelligence it is not his gifts or his great wealth or even his family or children or spouse as wonderful and as important as they all are for david he knows that all of that will pass but god and god alone stands firm and his his rock Again, we note that David doesn't merely say, God, a rock, praise be to the Lord, a rock, or the rock, but my rock. God, to David, is personal and intimate. This is not a man who merely knows about God, but a man who knows God. To David, God is not merely some mysterious force or some supernatural being out there whom he can hardly know, but someone personal, like a a child knowing his father, he knows him. And again, I think that is so typical of David's writings. Faith was never a formal, religious, dry, ceremonial tradition but a personal, active, living, dynamic relationship. And I wonder, my friends, if, you know, this morning when we look at our own lives, we can cry out with that kind of intimacy. If David so many years before Jesus and before the cross could cry out and say, blessed be the Lord, my rock, can we say that? Is, is he my rock? Or is he or is faith merely some tradition, some religious tradition that we follow? Something to do on Sundays, something we do because our parents did it, and something we forget for the rest of the week? And David goes on in verse in verse one the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. One thing which comes to mind whenever we talk about David and you know, it could be for people within the church, it could be for people who've never come to church. When we hear the word David, the one thing we remember is that famous well-known story of David and Goliath. Here was this little, Tiny shepherd boy who could barely wear his armor, who could barely even carry his armor. And on the other hand, was this nine-foot giant of a warrior, a seasoned warrior, threatening and mocking the armies of the Israelites. A mighty man towering of, over a little wisp of a boy. And you can imagine that, you know, that that scene, that incongruous scene, as David goes out to meet him with just a sling and you can almost see the the armies of Israelites turning their faces away from what can surely be a massacre. But it is David who runs to meet the Philistine and David brings down the pride of the Philistines with a stone and a sling. We know that Later in life, David became a mighty warrior. You know, he won many victories, he became a great king. But I wonder if he always looked back to that first battle. I'm sure there were other people who trained him in warfare and military strategy and all of that, but he always looked back to that first battle, that first victory, where he knew without a shadow of doubt, God was the one who trained him. God was his ultimate source of victory. The one who delivered victory against overwhelming odds. And we might think at that point, yeah, that's, you know, that's very good for David. I'm sure he was a great warrior. But I'm not in a battle, I'm not in a war. It doesn't matter to me. But let me remind you, my friends, that we need to look beyond the mere physical realm at this point. The New Testament makes it abundantly clear that we are in a spiritual battle every day. In fact, every minute of every day. Our enemy is not a foreign army, but it is the enemy of our soul, Satan. Every day we are in a battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil aiming to keep us down and keep us ineffective for God. And like David, we too have been given an armor to fight. The great chapter in Ephesians, Paul talks about the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, and so on. And we are called to take up our armor and fight, remembering that it is God who trains us, who prepares our hands for battle. And like David, we too must be ready to fight to bring down the Goliaths in our spiritual life. Against overwhelming odds, against seemingly inevitable defeat, God is the one who stands with us in this fight and he will deliver us, no matter who threatens or how big or impossible our spiritual enemy might seem. And again, perhaps just thinking of that past and thinking of all the things that God had done for him, David goes on in verse two. He is my loving God, my fortress, my stronghold, my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge. It's almost like David is running out of adjectives here. He's, he's bursting out in praise. He can't control himself anymore. Again, this is a man who knows God. He doesn't merely know about God. God is intimate and personal. The God who delivered him from the paw of the lion and the bear was the God who was his rock. And he goes further and he says, my stronghold, my deliverer, my shield. And I wonder again, perhaps, you know, if you again look at the life of David, there were times when he was chased from one end of the country to another, when he could barely sleep or eat, probably slept with one ear and one eye open as the armies of King Saul chased him. Perhaps he was thinking about the times when he was betrayed by his very friends, by his, by his own son, everyone had turned against him. And he was harassed and hungry and worn and and in despair. But in all that time, and through all the problems that he'd faced, there was one constant and one unchanging source of comfort. One fortress and stronghold of protection and comfort. One sure refuge in times of strife his God. My friends, I, I think sometimes we all know how that feels. Perhaps we're not surrounded by physical enemies like David, but I'm sure in our lives we've been through times when it seems life's come crashing down on us, when we're surrounded by emotional and physical and financial problems. When it seems like there's no one to turn to and no one seems to understand our frustration and pain. And much like David, we're surrounded and harassed. We can take heart with these words from David. God is my shield, my fortress, my refuge. I love how The Bible puts it elsewhere in Deuteronomy 33, 27. The eternal God is your refuge and underneath are his everlasting arms. When we hear that that horrible diagnosis from the doctor, when we hear the news that we don't want to hear about, when the boss calls you into this office to give you that dreaded news, And you feel your foundation shaking and the floor giving way underneath. And we're tempted to think, does God care? Is God even there? We are reminded today that underneath, underneath are the everlasting arms of God. In the fiercest storms, we are never alone. Our anchor holds firm. And like David, we can be sure that when all else fails, when there's no one to turn to, one ear will always hear, one gate is always open. Having looked at the awesomeness and the faithfulness of God, David now turns his eyes to man. And we read this in verse 3. O oh Lord, what is man that you care for him, the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath, his days are like a fleeting shadow. Again, David, this mighty king, historians describe him as you know, one of the greatest kings in history, perhaps comparable in some respects to King Alexander the Great. He can be ranked as one of the greatest kings of history a man who'd built cities and administered thousands of people, so many military victories, such a talented musician and, and a warrior and a poet and so on, yet one glimpse at the majesty of God, and he realizes that all of that is just a passing shadow. All his glory and power will fade in a few years at best. In fact, David's son, King Solomon, perhaps, I think, captures it best, and as he says, describes the emptiness of a materialistic world as a vanity of vanities, a chasing of the wind. Or listen to the words of prophet Isaiah. All men are like grass, and their glory like the flower of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fade but the word of the Lord stands forever. Man is here today and he is gone tomorrow. Or listen to the words of Shakespeare. Life like a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. And that is the ultimate nothingness of a life without an anchor. We look around and we see the posturing and the talk of all these grand men on the world stage and all their glory and all of that as if they last forever. And yet, one snap of a finger, that's all their lifespan is. But if we turn from that to our own lives, I wonder my friends if perhaps we too can sometimes be full of self-importance and pride, making our own grand schemes, forgetting who's really in control. Forgetting how temporary and how, how frail we really are. And again, David reminds us of the reality that Man is ultimately insignificant, frail, and fragile. Unless we are anchored on the rock of hope. But David also reminds us that it is to this insignificant, fragile, weak being that the eternal creator of the heaven and earth chooses to be a rock, a redeemer, a shield, a refuge. Not to the proud and haughty, but to the weak and lowly he comes to stand with them as their refuge. David goes on in verse 5. Part your heavens, O oh Lord, come down. Touch the mountains that they smoke. Send forth lightning, scatter the enemies, shoot your arrows and rout them. Reach down your hand and deliver me, Lord, from the, from the mighty waters. And I again wonder where David is at this point. Perhaps he's surrounded by enemies and he sees them and he's He's anxious and he asks God to deliver him in a mighty way, touch the mountains and they smoke, send forth lightning. I think my mind goes back to occasions in the Bible when God did deliver in such spectacular ways and we can think of when God used Moses to lead his people out of Egypt and as the Israelites were leaving Egypt the the armies of the Pharaoh started chasing them. And in front of them was the Red Sea and behind them were the armies. And it looked like it was going to be a massacre. And God parted the Red Sea to deliver his people. Or I think of uh, the story of King Hezekiah, which I remember as a church we studied last year during our study of Isaiah when surrounded in a siege of Jerusalem, by the mighty Assyrian army. He pleaded to God for help and said, God, deliver me, Lord, from this army. And this is what we read. The angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp in one night. And perhaps David here is pleading for a similar dramatic intervention. Part your heavens, O Lord, send forth lightning. but indeed many years after David, in a way that perhaps David never anticipated, one greater than him would indeed part the heavens. The one whose throne will last forever came not with the thunder and crashing and lightning, but with the gentle whimper of a little child born into this world the child whose birth we celebrated just a month ago. He came to deliver not merely David, or even David's descendants, but all of mankind from the curse and bondage of sin. Not by lightning and arrows and thunder and crashing, but by taking on himself The sins of you and me, the Son of God came that whoever may believe in him should have everlasting life. He came to save us, as David writes, from the one whose mouth is full of lies and whose right hand is deceitful, that father of deception, Satan. He took our place. The one who controls the lightning and the wind, the eternal one who strung out the stars in space, and who holds the hollows sorry, the, the waters of the earth in the hollows of his hand is the one who gave his life for you and me. What a saviour, what a gospel. What is man, O oh Lord, that you think of him? how insignificant we are, and yet you care for us. And David, as a king and a leader, he looks beyond himself. He looks beyond his own problems and his own life. And he looks to the generations to come, and he yearns that his his sons will be like trees nourished by the word of God, that his daughters will be like pillars of support for others, that his people will not vainly chase after the wind, but will be those whose hearts are anchored on the rock. And he cries out passionately, blessed are the people of whom this is true, blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. My friends, I hope this morning this, is, this hasn't been merely a theoretical discourse on the life of David. The question God's word asks is, where are you? What is the rock in your life when everything crumbles around you? Can you truly say like David, the Lord is my rock? Or do you feel yourself far away from him? Perhaps this morning you're sitting here anxious, surrounded by trials and difficulties, and circumstances which are too hard to bear. Perhaps you look okay on the outside, yet internally you're struggling with a load of shame and guilt and darkness and despair. It is my privilege to remind you with David of the fleeting, shifting, temporary nature of this world and point you instead to the everlasting eternal rock who has parted the heavens to come down and deliver you from guilt and shame. From sin to salvation, from bondage to freedom, from the depths of despair to the heights of hope. And with David we too can say God is our rock our refuge, our deliverer, our fortress, our stronghold, and our shield. Blessed are the people of whom this is true. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for these words of David written so many years ago We thank you that your word is still alive and active even today. We pray that you work in our hearts by your spirit through the power of your word. Strengthen our hearts and minds and prepare us as we go into battle this, this coming week. Help us in our spiritual lives to be anchored on the rock of Christ, the rock that stands firm in a fleeting world.